0: Paul and I would like to acknowledge that we record this podcast on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri people. We would like to pay our respect to the elders both past and present of the Kulin Nation and to other Indigenous Australians who may listen. Hi, I'm Bec. And I'm Paul. And this is DVD Clutter.
1: Happy Halloween month.
0: (laughs) Yes. Actually, we're recording this on the 23rd of October, but I did just realize literally right then that this isn't going to come out till, oh, wait, it comes out in a couple of days.
1: We'll be fine. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Um, Yeah, great. I love spooky films.
1: Spooky films.
0: (laughs) Is that how you're going to deliver the whole podcast?
1: Yes.
0: I think it's going to get old pretty fast. No. <laughs> oh god. Um, hi. How you doing? Oh, you can hear me? Okay. Yeah, cool. I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I'm good. I'm if I'm talking quietly, it's because Laura's sleeping off night shift and I don't want to wake her up, but hopefully fair enough. It will be fine.
1: Yeah. It's not like that we're going to have, you know, anything to shout about. Well, I don't know. sing I'm... and dance about.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. Um, I am pretty excited about today's DVD.
1: Yeah, me too. Very uh, is... excited.
0: So we're doing one of my DVDs. Um, finally, this is our first one post-Hanks. Are we going to have withdrawals? Who knows? Have you been having Hank's withdrawals?
1: Uh not as much as I originally thought I would. Hmm. Um, yeah, but I think Hanks could have done well in this movie.
0: <laughs> do you think? Maybe it's no, Brad. do not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's uh, throw off the suspense. That's, I w- should make a reference to the movie because, um, you know, of that bit in the movie. Anyway, my brain's not working because it's early.
1: For everyone listening at home, it's not actually early It is <laughs> past 11 in the morning
0: Anyway Today we're doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show Mm-hmm. Cult, classic, musical extravaganza yeah.
1: A lot of pressure doing this one Because I'm sure there's lots of people out there That have done a lot of podcasts Because there's a huge fandom around Rocky Horror mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if, if you're a super fan... Um, we don't mean to offend you with our <laughs> lack of knowledge or, you know. Yeah. Um, we'll Hastily pretty...
0: researched Wikipedia, you know, yep.
1: thoughts. Yeah. You're going to think we're fairly basic. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm
0: okay with that. I embrace yeah. my basic identity. It's totally fine. Yeah,
1: me too. I just feel like there's going to be more of a fandom after us for this one than the man with one red shoe, you know. Well, yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely true. Is um what we did Buffy. That that has a pretty hardcore fan yeah. base. We didn't get any abuse yeah. from that, thank goodness.
1: No. No, it's almost like no one listens to us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now, Paul, we know that's not true. We have a very dedicated fan base. Fan base. The our fan own fan base. base. Anyway, it's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm excited. You're excited. Do you I'm own this D V D? No, I don't. Mm, Okay, I wasn't sure.
1: Yeah, uh, me either. But I (laughs) (laughs) double-checked. Yep, And I don't.
0: Okay, yeah. Well, it's one of the, you know, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to my DVDs. So this is one. I mean, when I say the bottom of the barrel, I don't mean the worst ones that I own. It's just that I don't have many left, and this is one of the ones I had left. And I thought it was a great time to get into it because it is coming up to Halloween, Um, and it is a classic Halloween movie.
1: Yeah, spooky adjacent, really. I yeah, guess is it, you know,
0: I would say there's some spooky scenes.
1: Oh yeah, no, you're right. There there really mm. are that mm. um, you kind of forget about because you, yeah. you know, wrapped up in time warps and such.
0: <laughs> um, so should we start by giving? Shall I give a little rundown of how I came across this film?
1: Yeah, go ahead.
0: Great. So we are going to time warp. We're going to time walk back. Time warp back to. 2004 maybe mm-hmm. um little beck is 17 years old or 16 she can't remember maybe <laughs> not nah, i don't think i was 18 let's say i was 16 anyway you wanted to get involved in some local theater and our local theater company decided that they were going to put on the rocky horror picture show i'd never heard about it before um, but they were having a screening for people who might want to get involved. So I went along with my friend and sat there in the eye theatre, watched on a big screen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. When I say big, medium. It was pretty small. Yeah, It was yeah. like we're talking country town. We're talking, you know, we're not even talking about sale, which is the city in quotation marks. We're talking about Stratford, which is one size down before my town, which is another size down. And I think this might have been one of the first ones that they were going to put on. We had this new art centre that was um, developed in sale. It was called The Wedge and it was quite controversial but the eye theater company, which was this really small, tiny theatre company run by a husband and wife team who lived actually closer to me and my family. Um, this is a lot of detail. Um, <coughs> anyway... <laughs> Um, yeah, 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 they were going to put it on as like the first kind of production that they would do in this new theatre. But I re- I have really strong memories of seeing this show for the f- – sorry, oh, sorry, I have really strong memories of seeing this film for the first time because it was so different to what I had ever seen before. And I loved musicals already, so Anything With Music was, you know, already – had something going for it in my eyes. And then on top of that, something that was, like, so outrageously different and for mm. for someone who didn't feel like they really fit into the mainstream, to see this, like, just celebration of difference was really um, incredible. Um, and, of course, I signed up to do the – to be in the car on the um, chorus and we performed it a couple of nights or I can't remember a couple of weeks, maybe. I can't remember if we did a couple of shows or how many we did, but yeah, it was great fun. We, you know, just singing and dancing and having a good old time. And I remember I cut my hair really short and dyed it red at this time as well. And the director asked me if it was because of the show. And I was like, no, it wasn't because of the show, but it does fit <laughs> into the show <laughs> yeah, really yeah. well. Cause it was like okay. a very, a v- very like uh, little Nell Mm. look which I didn't I don't think I really consciously meant to do but maybe it maybe it influenced my confidence in being able to cut my hair short and dye it red I'm not sure yeah yeah and there's one scene in particular which we'll talk about probably more later but it's the the scene when frankenfurter is introduced where it cuts backwards and forwards from brad and janet to his heels clicking as he comes down the elevator um, mm-hmm. And it's just such the tension in that scene and the the build up in that scene. I remember that so vividly because I think it was the first time a film had really created that dramatic tension in in I don't know. It was just so effective for me, and um, I love that scene. And yeah, it that really stuck with me. And then I just played the songs, you know, every day at home for hours and hours on end. Because first of all, because I was learning them for the for the play but then also just because I loved them and my little brother really hated it, (laughs) hated it, (laughs) hated it with a passion. Yeah. And I always thought probably because it's challenging his masculinity or maybe someone explained that to me. Maybe I was like having a a sad to mom and dad about it. And maybe they said, well, you know, people react differently. Um, But I think he denies that that's the case. He just thought it was annoying.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, I think... And that's probably a discussion we'll have later on in the picture too about yep. um, this film and its approach to gender. Gender, yeah. Um, which is one of the best things about it, I think. Mm. Um, but before we do get into that, I'll I'll give a quick plot breakdown for those who...
0: The virgins. Haven't...
1: Yeah, that's it, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, you know... As I go through the plot, let's not worry too much about it. This is definitely a movie that's more vibe than anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah there, I think there the plot, plot you, could
0: probably, you could probably do the plot in a couple of sentences.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, I am going to go through it pretty quickly. Yeah. I will just quickly, I'll bring up some bits that are important too. Like The movie opens, obviously, with the big set of lips singing science fiction double feature as we see, see the credits roll which is one of my favourite moments in the film, which is wild because it's, you know, the very beginning of the movie. Um, But from there, we go in to get introduced to Brad and Janet, their typical 1950s American sweethearts. Straight-laced. That's the perfect word I'm looking for. They're at their friend's wedding, and the wedding's all done. They have a bit of a sing-song about how they're going to get engaged. And they drive off to visit their high school science teacher. Dr. Everett Scott. Dr. Everett Scott. They get a bit lost. He was the guy who introduced them,
0: apparently. Which I still think is a weird thing to do. If you just get engaged, you're like, oh, let's go see our science teacher. But I think he and Brad have, like, maintained contact.
1: Yeah. If you're big dweebs, that's maybe something that you do. Um, (laughs) Which they are. And they get a flat tire. And Brad's like, well, I better go. Look, I think I saw a light in that castle that we passed on the way here. Over at the Frankenstein said, well, place. Yeah, I want to go with you. So they see the light and they have a sing about it. They get to the castle and it's got some weird vibes going on. They meet the Transylvanians, mainly Riff who's the handyman of the house, and Magenta. And they get introduced to the rest of the Transylvanians with the time warp. Probably the biggest lasting cultural impact of Rocky Horror, you'd say. Mm. Mm. There would be very ah, few, yeah. few people that didn't know the time warp.
0: Yeah, you jump to the left, jump to the right, hands then on your hips. Jump to the right. Yeah. yeah. You, you get the gist.
1: After that, they're sort of a bit weirded out, but they're like, cool, can we just use your phone? And while they're having that chat, who should walk through the door? But the leader of this ragtag bunch, Dr. Frankenferter.
0: I mean, walk through the door is a bit of an understatement for his (laughs) entrance, but we'll talk about that later.
1: Who is on the verge of a scientific discovery, uh, is that night going to demonstrate that the secret to life itself. He has built a life form called Rocky, who's this beautiful, like, muscle-bound man, and they see Rocky being brought to life. But what should interrupt these festivities? But out of the freezer comes Eddie... The ex delivery boy, one of is past obsessions. Frankenfurter's is not very happy, and he kills Eddie. Then it's late. Everyone goes to bed.
0: Do they eat first?
1: No, no. Eat. Oh, eat no, that's later. later.
0: They eat later. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They go to bed, and Frank visits both Brad and Janet in the night. Visits. Wink,
0: wink. Nudge, nudge. Yeah, wink,
1: that's wink. It. wink, wink.
0: Wink, <laughs>
1: wink. Yeah. And while that's sort sort of going on, riffraff evokes rocky chasing him around a bit and rocky runs out of the mansion frank is very stressed out by this so goes off hunting for him janet runs into rocky and they nudge nudge wink wink yeah nudge nudge wink wink have a bit of a romance yeah um
0: romance is also a generous term
1: (laughs) (laughs) everyone's back in the lab they're looking for rocky but rocky and janet are actually hidden in rocky's bed
0: or rocky's like case yeah
1: yeah But who should turn up at that point but Dr. Everett Scott. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that Dr. Everett Scott is doing an investigation into UFOs. So suddenly Frank thinks that um, Brad and Janet are all part of this and they're all out to get him. But they say they're not. They're all having a bit of a fight because also, obviously, Janet and Rocky are found canoodling. (laughs) They're all having a bit of a fight. So Magenta bangs the gong. They all have dinner together. Turns out dinner is actually... Eddie, who was killed earlier, that is actually quite a frightening scene. So that's it's what you pretty, said when there's it's pretty full on. It's pretty full on, yeah. You also just found
0: some it... sneaky cannibalism.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And you find out that um, Dr. Uh, Everett Scott, his nephew, was Eddie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... And you find
0: out that Frankenfurter and, and the Transylvanians are actually aliens.
1: Yeah. So they all start uh, running around. They get to the lab, and Frank captures. Everyone with the Medusa transducer <laughs> turns them into nude statues, yep. dresses them up as cabaret actors, and then yep. puts on a big cabaret where they have a big celebration. Um, there's some great songs. Yeah. To an audience this, of no one. To an audience of no one. Um, as these things do, it ends up in an orgy, which is rudely interrupted <laughs> by Magenta and Riffraff, who are like, we're getting this show on the road. You failed in your mission, Frankenfurter. We're in charge now. Frankenfurter's like, all right, I'm going home. They're like, mm-mm, we're going to kill you. Rocky gets a bit angry at yep. that, climbs up the RKO tower, jumps off into the pool. Uh, looks, Everything looks bad for Brad and Janet, but then Riff Raff and Magenta are like, nah, you guys get out of here, we're going home. And they lift off in their yep. castle spaceship, leaving yep. the humans, crawling around in the dirt. Oh, I haven't mentioned the narrator. Or the criminologist. Like
0: ants. Yes, the criminologist. Yeah, yes. who's
1: narrating the story as we go through. And he ends with the line that, you know, the humans are left crawling in the dirt, lost in time and space. And meaning. Yeah, that's it. Yep. And then that's it. That's the plot.
0: That is it. Yeah, well done. That was epic. Yeah. And when Magenta and Riff Raff come back, they're like in their full space oh, yeah. alien yeah, yeah, suits yeah. as well. They've changed out of their handyman, handyman and, and, and domestic clothes. Domestic clothes yeah. Yeah.
1: Great. Yeah, wow. That's it. As I said, folks, I I did sound like I was rushing that a bit, but as everyone knows, the plot is not not the important bit here. It is full on. It is the vibe of this movie that Mm. we're going to talk about. Um, Do you want to jump into Mm. it first with your Rose Tinted review? How long has it been since you'd watched it?
0: Rose tints my world, keeps me safe from my trouble and pain. Oops. Well, it has been a while since I watched it. I can't remember. It's probably, it would have been probably maybe five, ten years. Time goes so fast these days. Um, but, it's yeah, it's been ages. And But I still, like I know all the words to all the songs. I know every scene pretty much back to front. There's nothing in there that's – I mean, there was actually things that I picked up on this time that I hadn't previously, um, but they're more peripheral things, I suppose, or hidden kind of things, not so much – yeah, everything was still as I, as I remembered. Yeah. I mean, I loved it still. <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's just a celebration of the weird and the wonderful and celebration of difference and exploration and the music is engaging and yeah, I don't know. I just loved it.
1: I love it. That's it. The, the music is just so good. And you're right. That's the engaging part. It, it, it draws you in and, and gives you that, that excited feeling. Um, I think mm. obviously the, the film and the direction adds to that a bit. But I think the music has such an important role. And the music is so ingenious. Yeah. So people would probably know or maybe don't know Richard O'Brien was the brains behind this all put together the Rocky Horror Show, which yep. then was picked up by Fox to become the Rocky Horror Picture Show. In what seemed like something that they regretted almost immediately as soon as they gave <laughs> the go ahead to make it, were freaking out about it. Yeah. Yep. But luckily, as is the case I think with all sort of super cult films, they stumbled into something that really hit a nerve with people and yep. um somehow sort of captured lightning in a bottle. That many people have tried yeah. to redo. Like everyone's tried to mm. be the new Rocky Horror mm. and no one has ever done it. Yeah, It is something very, yeah. very special.
0: I think it came at a particular time. Um, maybe they talk about it a little bit in some of the special features that I was watching, but it came at a time when it's kind of really inspired by uh, the glam rock era. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of almost coming to an end around... It was 1974, I think, when the or 1973 maybe when the play came out and then 1975 when the film came out and a couple of the people in the special features were saying, you know, they wanted to kind of capture this moment before it kind of moved on, the world moved on to something else. Yeah. yeah. But it's – yeah. Should we – how are we going to do this? I don't know. We can't just gush the whole time.
1: That's it. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I, I can sort of visit my dealings with Rocky Horror.
0: Yeah, yeah, please, um, yes. For me, it
1: was very much like a... I very much was, I guess, assumed that I'd like it before I'd even sort of, like, dealt dealt with it or seen it or really known what it was about. Like, I think, like, late, late high school, pole, very much a theatre kid, but also, you know, very much into cult cinema. I'd read a lot more about Rocky Horror um, and, you know, knew the songs more than... Like, I'd never seen it. And then I do remember... Before you'd seen it. Yeah. Oh. When I actually did see it... Didn't feel comfortable, to be honest. Mm. I think, and it was exactly what you're talking about with your brother there too. It's, mm. a, it's a challenge to masculinity um, mm-hmm. in a way that I wasn't ready for at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So like, I just remember watching and being like, I guess the sexuality is that it's not like, it's not a traditional approach to sexuality. No. And you know, what would be seen is as a sexy film, but it is very sexy. As a movie. Mm.
0: Well, sex is one of the, the core elements, yeah. I would say.
1: And, I, yeah, I think I remember sort of being a little bit confronted and then a little bit ashamed of being like, you know, I'm supposed to be into this. A prude. You know? <laughs> yeah. So then I didn't watch it again, I don't think, until college. And yeah. even then I don't think I really understood it. And, you know, like, yeah. part of this is because I feel like, you know, straight white male, like this is a movie that unlike most other movies is not created completely for me you know Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. and it wasn't till yeah later in life um that i watched it again and i'm like this movie is genius and it's onto something Mm. a lot more than my little teenage mind could comprehend because Mm. the best thing about this movie is it just gets it it just fucking gets Mm. it and then you look at the state of the world at the moment and just like how did a nineteen seventy five movie just get it? And how come we don't get it now? You know? Getting
0: what? What particularly do you reckon? I think like it's that approach. Gender diversity gen- and
1: Yeah. Yeah, and like I guess a sex positive message mm. that isn't sort of tokenistic, it's mm. yeah, you know. It's being comfortable well, with who I you think, are. I
0: mean it is, yes. And it's a lot yeah, it is a lot of um, a lot of self-acceptance, self-exploration, those themes. But I don't don't know if it was written with those things. I mean, it was written with those things in mind, but it wasn't written to be a meaningful film. It was written to be like, you know, a a B-grade rip-off of science fiction films that was written for a bit of fun. He talks about... um, Richard O'Brien talks about writing it to keep himself entertained during a, a winter yep. one year, you know? Like, I don't think he was going out there to kind of tell the world that we should all be more accepting. It's it's how it ended up being received, which is
1: great. Yeah, but I think that's why, like, it works so well at it too because it isn't sort of that after-school special – thanks, Peggy. It um, wasn't that sort of <laughs> after-school special of, like, we're writing a message of acceptance. It was we're, we're accepting yeah. and we're writing a science – fiction movie about it um yes totally yeah and that's why it comes out i think also the other reason why i didn't sort of click to it originally too is just because it is so sort of clever and its understanding of cinema and science fiction cinema particularly too i think burst my ego a little bit because at that stage of my life i thought i knew everything there was about (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay sci-fi and yeah seeing someone like richard o'brien who he knows that shit just like that's, and that's yeah. why I love um, science fiction double feature. That just that song and its lyrics, I just think a genius. The references, yeah, and the way that he puts them together, but not again. It's not in like a showy kind of way. Like here's another name drop. It just it is a real mm-hmm. passion for this this cinema, and you know you, mm-hmm. you can hear it in his voice as he sings it as well. Like yeah, mm-hmm. he gets it.
0: Yeah, it is so interesting, and it was interesting reading about some of the the background of it because I kind of. I guess I had hoped in some ways that it was a bit of a queer manifesto. Yeah. And so when I looked into it and and Richard O'Brien was just like, yeah, the the transvestite thing really took off a little bit more than I'd kind of <laughs> thought about. <laughs> and I think he had thought about it. And there's, there's that beautiful song, um, Don't Dream It, Be It, which yeah. I think was inspired by paintings of maybe like maybe transgender people, someone probably knows this better than me. I think I just watched, I did forgot to write down this little bit of his interview. So he definitely thought about, you know, being that, that his song is really beautiful and, and, you know, being able to become the thing that you want to be rather than just dreaming about becoming the person that you want to be. But yeah, at the same time, I think he, he kind of didn't realize the impact it would have for, People who are just weird and different, and also particularly the queer community. Yeah, which I'm. I think I. I also can't find anything about his identity. He seems very camp, but I don't want to make assumptions. Yeah, and the same with Tim Curry. He's never. Yeah. Publicly stated anything.
1: A bit of a sidetrack. Have you ever been to New Zealand and seen the monument to Richard O'Brien? No. So there's no. A- there's a, there's a statue in Hamilton in New Zealand and it's where he used to work as a hairdresser in Pre. in the late 50s oh, and 60s okay. um, and it's been okay. knocked down, the barbershop, but now there's a statue to riffraff there and public toilets right. that are Rocky Horror themed. Um, awesome. And there's also instructions to do the time warp and a camera that has a website. Um, that you can just watch that camera anytime of people doing the time warp in New Zealand. <laughs> no. It's... It's really cool, and it's in Hamilton in New Zealand too, which is like a little bit off the beaten track. It's sort of less off the beaten track now because it's near the Hobbit set, so you can go. Oh, okay. But um, have you? Did you watch anyone doing the time warp? No, we did the time warp there when we were in Hamilton. Oh my god, that's so cool.
0: Yeah, but it was he did ride it in England. Yeah, yeah. And the first show was in England, right? Yes, yes. And we should just clarify, I don't know if we've made this clear before, but Richard O'Brien also plays Riff Raff, which is why there's a statue of Riff Raff yes. in Hamilton. Yeah. So he is plays he played Riff Raff in the original stage show, but also in the film he plays Riff Raff as well. Yeah. Um and he really talks like that. Did you watch any interviews with him? Yeah. Hello. That's fully that's fully him. <laughs> Please come inside. Yes. Peggy's giving it her best shot too. Not quite, Pegs. Um, well, look, should we go through character by character maybe and use it to talk about some bits and pieces? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because we also have not mentioned that the well, – we should talk about the cast in general. So Brad and Janet are played by – Janet is played by Susan Saradin, which, when you think about this movie and how cult it is, Susan Saradin's a very successful Mm. mainstream actor, I would say. And so sometimes it's a bit of a shock to me that she was involved in something that was so kind of different and risque. I know, right? Um, Yeah. So, yeah, Susan Saradin plays Janet. And we've got Tim Curry playing Frankenfurter. Mm -hmm. We've got Barry Bostwick. Barry Barry Bostwick. We've got Barry Bostwick playing Brad, um, and then we also have...
1: We've got Patricia Quinn as Magenta, then Little Nell is Columbia. Mm. Uh, And then Meatloaf Meatloaf
0: plays Eddie, Yeah, which is another one because he's... I think at this stage, I've got some some interesting things about him, but he does some very long-winded interviews on the special features where he just likes to talk, I think. Yeah. Um, that's but yeah. We he. I don't think he was super famous when he was in this, but he since became famous. No, I'm famous. pretty
1: sure like it was during the stage show that he met Jim Steinman and they worked on "Bad Out of Hell," which was like the big Meatloaf mm. album for Meatloaf fans out there. Um, we bought yep. Mama Cameo from Meatloaf for her birthday this year.
0: Yeah, can you explain what that is? because oh, so I'm not sure, I didn't know what that was before my recent yeah doubling
1: cameos a service where you can pay celebrities to give greetings to um family members and so we paid for meatloaf for Mum because she's a, a big meatloaf fan and boy he spoke for like a good 15 minutes just like about random Whoa. shit like like and you know talked about the grand final incident and was like i'm still not happy at the media man um and <laughs> like and i've had an ear infection recently and that's why i'm chewing gum so i'm sorry about that like and he just went off on all these random tangents like he, oh he's a weird God. guy but yeah yeah but yeah I know that he's spoken a lot about this, and he seems still really angry about the fact that. So, in the stage show, he also played Doctor Everett Scott, um, yep. and in the movie, he just played Eddie, and he st- he seems yeah pretty angry about that. Pissed.
0: Yeah, he's st- he was he wasn't didn't sound angry about it in the interview that I watched, but he was um, he definitely mentioned it. Yeah, like he was like, I still I still think they made a mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Well, um, let's talk a little bit about him then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did watch this. I should just – we're probably going to integrate some of the special features in because I think it's really interesting as we go. And he – I should just say that the the DVD that I've got is the 25th anniversary edition. So it's got two discs and it's got so many special features. I didn't make my way through them all. I think I almost got there. But can I run you through the special features quickly? Wow. So on disc one, we've got the – We've got the main movie, obviously, but then there's also commentary with Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn. Then there's also the theatrical experience where you can watch <laughs> you can watch the, the show, but then it also randomly cuts away to theaters showing the show with the audience participation, which is a whole nother thing we're going to talk about later where the audience gets really involved in Rocky Horror Picture Show when they watch it. these cult screenings so you can cut away and watch that you can also watch it with the audience participation prompts on so you know there's like a subtitle track that will show you like now throw the rice now say this now you know all those different things and then there is disc two which has like a heap of different things that were edited out or just different shots like they just it's like they've taken any Anything that they like, they took an alter, uh, uh, they took alternate shots of when um, Brad and Janet are about to do the time warp or everyone's about to do the time warp. So here's a shot of um, Susan Sarad from this angle, you can just watch it. There's, there's no yep. bloopers, it's nothing. It's just like, <laughs> it's just they've taken any scrappings that they've found on the cutting room floor and they've like chucked it into the DVD. That was pretty boring. Um, and then there was a bunch of interviews from that were originally released in a VHS special features as well. And then there was another documentary which I didn't watch called The Rocky Horror Double Feature Video Show because I didn't have time to watch that whole thing. Um, And then there was like sing-along songs. There was a photo gallery, theatrical trailer, heaps and heaps. You're definitely getting your money's worth with this one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But back to... Meatloaf. Meatloaf. So... He, in his um, interview, he so he started in the stage show and then a bunch of the, the stage show cast were are in the film as well. So one's from England and one's from the when the stage show first went over to America. And he told this amazing story about when he they were given all the songs and he'd, like, signed on. Um, he was, like, a bit of a nobody then. So, he was, you know, he was just doing it because he was getting paid. And then when... <laughs> they were like doing all the songs they didn't have a script and then they were told oh tim curry's arriving tim curry's arriving and he's been the star over in england of the show so it's a bit of a big deal and he walks in he and he does this like dramatic entrance and he like walks into the theater um in his full outfit with his high heel platform high heels and his fishnet stockings and meatloaf said he took one look at him and was just like no i'm not doing this (laughs) He had he had that same reaction that I think that made you uncomfortable as well, and it really took him ages. He talks about how then he someone had to really talk him back to like, no, it's okay, it's okay, you know, you just you know just give it a go, you'll see it. And then he got eventually got brought around because he thought it was hilarious that they were wearing fishnets. I don't I'm not sure if he hundred percent understands. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then when he found out his character had to wear fishnets as Dr. Everett Scott. He um he really lost it again because he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing it. And then eventually they just like, you know, he just got measured up for shoes and put in fishnets and he just went along with it. And then the real reason that he was one around in the end is because when he goes on stage as Dr. Everett Scott and reveals himself wearing heels and and fishnets, the audience went wild and they like laughed hysterically. He said he's never heard people laughing so much in his life. Um, so he... Was like great, yeah. Because he loves, the, he loves to be the center of attention, <laughs> like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's his vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. And he admitted that. Yeah, yes, Meatloaf, and he's still brilliant. I'll, I saw Meatloaf in constant concert a few years ago. I'm trying to think when, maybe even a decade ago now. What year are we in?
0: 2020.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah, roughly ten years ago. And he opened with um, "Hootie Patootie." Bless my soul. no hoppatootie yeah bless myself
0: did yeah. he wow it was great
1: Then they did like it yeah that would have been awesome time warp bit in the end in the middle of it wow um, yeah so you know still got so, it
0: so yeah he's he's yeah i mean and his performance was fine he's only in the show for like a small amount of time which is probably why he was pissed off that he didn't get to play play dr mm. everett scott as well yeah um but his role is, you know, he bursts out of that freezer. He's, he's the ex lover of Frankenfurter, I suppose. And Columbia was in love with him at one point, And then he gets eaten. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It was great. Should we talk about Tim Curry? Yes. Wow. What a performance. And probably the performance wow. he'll be <laughs> known for forever. But totally. Obviously, I think Tim Curry is very much a, a theatre actor. Um, and yeah. you know he does pop up in a lot of fantastic cult movies so people are aware of him but uh, you know he's a theatre actor his accolades mainly surround that but yeah this one was one that I, I think he got like I, I read a couple of stories about him sort of first reading the script and just sort of saying if they can make this work it's going to be huge like he knew from the start what this was going to yeah. be and I think it just also like he's sort of Very awkwardly tall body and a very British face. Yeah, just make him perfect for the part two. There's there's something about him. But also, like, very sort of, I guess, a pretty face as well.
0: He's got that... I mean, I think he's perfect because he's very masculine, but he's also quite feminine Mm. in the way that he was, like, moving his body. And he he just managed to embrace that... um, the sensuality and he's he's comes across in this role as just a very sensual person and richard o'brien talks about in the some of the interviews as well he talks about the shock of finding straight women being attracted to him in to tim curry in the in the show and yeah. that kind of awakening and a different version of sexuality and people that they didn't know was there like we're trained to be attracted to a certain type of person. That's like, if you're a woman, you should be attracted to this type of man. If you're a man, you should be attracted to this type of woman. And this is all about challenging that. And his role does that so beautifully because he is so charismatic in this role. And just like very, um, I don't know, like just putting off these vibes of pure sensuality. Mm. Um, yeah. So beautiful.
1: Um, Yeah, and I think forever, every production that has ever done um, Rocky Horror since, it's always sort of been, it's been a a Tim Curry impression.
0: Yeah, and not, I I don't know if, yeah, I mean, yeah. I haven't seen anyone do it actually except for the one that I've been in and I can't even remember who played him (laughs) because Tim Curry is just like (laughs) the one and only, yeah. Yeah. And his scene, like that scene that I talked about at the start where he arrives, so Brad and Janet have just come in, they've they've been introduced to the Transylvanians, all these like crazy characters with like colourful clothes and they've done the time warp and they've been stripped, then they just get stripped of their clothes randomly and Brad's just going, maybe let's just go along with it, Janet, and see what happens. And she's (laughs) like, Brad, do something, as they strip them completely to their underwear. And then, you know, as there's this, great kind of cutaway sequence where it cuts backwards and forwards from brad and janet kind of backing away from the transylvanian slowly 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 and at the same time we just see this close-up shot of uh, frankenfurter's silver heel like this these beautiful shoes this massive heel like a six inch heel and it's just like tapping um to the beat of the music as he kind of comes down this elevator and it's that sequence of backwards and forwards between particularly Janet's face as she kind of is freaking out and Brad's face as he's, as he's trying to maintain control and this, you know, tension of something's coming, something's coming and it's perfectly aligned with the music, the cut, the sequence, the editing is so perfect here. Mm. It's just the best scene. It's it's so good. It just builds so well and then the reveal is so worth it.
1: Yeah, it, for sure. And it's also, yeah, the, the way that the scene um, in, integrates in the music and I think... Sweet Transvestite yes. is such an exciting song, like it. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, non-stop excitement. It's got that beat to it.
0: Yeah. It's got everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. I love that scene. I, I think it's one of the most perfect scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. Is that a is that an overstatement?
1: No, no, I totally get that. It's um. Yeah. Yeah, and also yeah, for something that so much, I guess, of the rest of the movie very much gets wrapped up in that sort of vibe of excitement energy, it is one moment that you can sort of really pull out and sort of have as a, a, as a memory, I think Mm -hmm. as well.
0: And also, also it's, it's a moment that differentiates the film from the stage show because you can't have that kind of intimacy with a stage show. You're going, you're, you're separated as an audience member. You can't get that close to the shoe coming down. And you can't get that close to Brad and Janet. You can't get that interaction, the backwards and forwards, and the tension that that builds. And so I think in that way as well, it was one of my uh, real awakening moments to the magic of filmmaking and the magic of editing, um, because it, it just affected me so much in terms of yeah. the correlation between. Like I just was like the the meaning and the feeling created by this cutaway sequence, um, or this backwards and forwards sequence it was that's what editing is you know editing is the meaning created it's it's more than the sum of its parts it's the meaning created by putting things in a certain order and you can't do that with a stage show and yeah so I think it was it was an awakening in terms of my appreciation for film and the technique of of filmmaking and then just also the show itself
1: yeah it's um it's pretty spectacular
0: it is oh I better watch that scene again. Do
1: it. Who else do you want to talk about in particular?
0: Look at him. He's so beautiful. Oh, I would wear the shit out of those shoes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Brad and Janet. Yeah. I think both characters or both actors played these roles beautifully. Very like um, stilted. Yeah. 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 You know.
1: So necessary. I think to really um, hide in it. And also, yeah but still exaggerated enough that it fits in with the dreamlike nature of everything. Like it's not, they're, yep. the, they're the straight men of the, of the piece, mm. but, um, not, yeah, not plain. They're not completely nothing. They're really, they're committing yeah. to what it is.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Get some bangers to sing to touch a touch a touch a touch yeah. me gets in my head Yeah. <laughs> like nothing else.
0: So Susan Saradon talked a bit in her interviews. These are all interviews for the 25th anniversary, so they're not on-the-spot interviews. They're like yeah. 25 years later, obviously. And she talked about how this film really pushed her out of her comfort zone in terms of singing. Oh, yeah. Because she she said that she grew up with a father who sang a lot, but she didn't, she didn't kind of think of herself as a singer at all. Um, and she did, wasn't actually even going to audition but she went along to the oh, screen tests because she's a friend of Tim Curry's and so she went along to say hi to him and they were like, oh, why don't you give it a go And she was like, oh I'm not really you know a singer and then I don't know somehow they convinced her and she managed to do something that they hadn't been able to get in other people she called it yeah being the, playing the straight man but in a way that was able to land some funny, elements i suppose or she had a bit of comic timing about it and then they just said oh can you sing us happy birthday can you sing us this can you sing us that to just test out mm. her voice and i mean she's got a pretty good voice it is a bit weaker i suppose than some of the others but
1: but it, it works well for her character yeah and there's something about i think her voice and brad's voice too that it is that sort of yeah maybe weakness isn't sort of like i don't feel like the right word but it is that they're not they don't feel like that sort of super professionally trained um mm. voice that i again i think just adds to the sort of the acceptance of the film too it's also like mm. i really feel like that sort of comes in with the the overdubbing of the the singing voice so like obviously the singing voices were recorded at an earlier stage and then they mm. um you know as is the case with a, a lot of musical films but just the way that mm. they've gone about that in this movie, I don't know, I think it really adds to the B-film science fiction vibe as well. It's like yes. everything <laughs> yes. that seems like it could have, you know, been considered gone wrong for this movie just adds so much to everything. It's, um yeah. again, that lightning in a bottle thing that's just completely wild.
0: And Brad, yeah, like same again, you know, playing the straight man pretty well. I mean, no, he just is yeah, great for the role The transition from both of them they go through through that that time of you know this really repressed upright citizen to a bit more fluid sexual liberation at the end I think they both handle that pretty well it's there's a lot of like I mean it's just so funny it's so over the top there's you know that scene where you know there's that scene where Janet turns on the TV screen and she sees that Brad has had sex with Rocky and she's like doing yeah. the, <gasps> yeah, and like lots of like, you know, fainting and or not like putting a hand to her head. And it's just very melodramatic, which is great. And they do that. Both of them play that. And she, Susan Saradon plays that so well because it's not, I don't know, like it's melodramatic, but it's not super cringy. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, the purpose behind it, I suppose, or, you know, you understand where it's coming from.
1: Yeah, again, mm. just everything works.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, we haven't talked about Dr. Everett Scott. I mean, he just turns up yeah. out of the blue. Turn, turns out Eddie's his nephew. Nephew. I really like the criminologist, actually. I like that how they they played that with the, the, the narrator. And it makes it into this, like... Because he, he starts the film saying, I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange yeah. and unusual journey. And it's like um, it's kind of like a crime. Like he's he's investigating this the strange occurrence at the manner of whatever.
1: Yeah, and look, it, it's a, again it's a, that B film trope of trying to add some legitimacy to um, mm. uh, anything, which you know it pops up from everything from um, Ed Wood's films where they've you know they get a bunch of stock footage and whatever they half shot and get someone to talk over the top and try and bring it together all the way to like. It even reminds me of, you know, the end of Psycho, when you get the psychoanalyst at the end to talk about...
0: Mm, Wrapping everything up.
1: um, And it's just Mm -hmm. such a trope, but they integrate it perfectly again. I I love the bit where, you know, the Transylvanians are actually at the wedding, and then, you know, you can see on one of his slides that he's Mm. highlighted that... um, Yes. In a a fun way. Yeah,
0: which we... We haven't pointed that out at the, the wedding right at the start. There's all the characters, all the Transylvanians, including Riffraff and Magenta and Columbia, are actually yep. at the wedding as and Frank- like, guests. And, and Frank- is Frankenfur Frank- yeah, there? Who's the priest? Oh, God, I didn't even spot that. There's also lots of references in this to, um, like, the arts and, and culture throughout the time, that there's the magenta and riffraff are dressed in that initial scene when they're, they are um, people who work at the church rather than guests and they're dressed as, uh, American I forgot Gothic. that painting, what's it called? Yeah, American Gothic. So, and they look remarkably like the painting. oh well, yeah, are... and
1: that, that painting's also <laughs> hanging up in the castle and it's all... Yeah,
0: it, it's all tied yeah, together. Again,
1: I think it's just, there is a really, um, smartness in, in the creation of Mm. this, um, more so than I think anyone understood. (laughs) Mm. Um.
0: Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's like the, it's a a team effort in terms of the set designers taking on that added element and, and paying attention to detail and yeah, Mm. that's so good. Oh, the other thing that I love about the criminologist is when he's so serious the whole time and then he does the time warp, but he's doing it. He's like, it's just a jump to the left and he's very serious, but then he demonstrates and his hands are on his hips and he's like <laughs> gyrating, but he's still looking very serious. And it's that perfect combination of um, we're taking the piss, yep. you know, it was so good. Um, Great. Yeah, the only there's only there's two things that I kind of noticed uh, when I watched this this time around was one of them and it's about the set design as well, like the things happening around in the background and there's a lot to pick up on in the so when you know the cage or the case that Rocky is in when he's coming to life, he's kind of suspended mm. in this in the middle yeah. of this case. It's got the pride flag painted onto it.
1: I, Did you I notice that? I didn't think of it like that. I, no, that actual prop, I think, is from one of the Hammer Frankenstein films. Oh, it yeah.
0: <laughs> but was it painted rainbow?
1: Uh, I'm, I don't think so, no.
0: Yeah, because it, it has, it's like it definitely, we were like, I'm pretty sure that's
1: A rain- painted yeah. rainbow. And oh, it's definitely it's painted got, rainbow. It's the I, pride. I hadn't connected it to the pride flag. Um, I
0: feel like it must be.
1: Um, it Yeah. It's too much of a coincidence otherwise. Um, I didn't Google it, though. No, that, that totally makes sense. Mm. Great, yeah, inter- integrating everything there is about this movie there, using an actual prop from an old mm. science fiction movie um, integrated with queer culture. Like, it's, <laughs> mm. it's cut it all. Mm.
0: Mm. Mm, definitely. Um, and the other thing I noticed was <laughs> this might just be meaningless. Oh, no, actually, now that I realise that Jim Sharman's Australian, it's not meaningless and that he's, that um, Richard O'Brien is Kiwi. But in the criminologist's office, the, there's an atlas and the country that is always showing to the camera is Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe New Zealand's in it as well, now that I think about it. But I didn't check. Sorry, Kiwis. I just noticed Australia. <laughs> and that, that they would have done that on purpose, surely. Yeah, 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 Just like tilted it ever so slightly so that they make sure that we're, you know, in focus. Yeah, um, that's all I have about the film itself. I think.
1: Yeah, and I, just everyone should go and watch it. And I think that's part of the reason why it's got such a cult following uh, beyond the idea that it's, um, you know, got that vibe that I talked about before. How it connects with so many people. How it gives a, a chance of representation, sort of, so outside the the stock standard. Um, beyond all of mm. that stuff, it's also just so incredibly rewatchable because you can pick up those little mm. things every single time, mm-hmm. no matter what angle you're watching it from, whether yep. you're watching it from a you know science fiction movie nerd kind of place, whether you're watching it from, um, I guess, it, for, for a queer reading of it, whether you're watching it for uh, even just like musical theatre history kind of... Um, perspective. Yeah. Or well, cult history. Like. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all mixed in there.
0: Well, Paul, I think that's all I've got to say about the film itself, but we do have a lot to talk about in terms of the cult status of the film and the production of the film and the release of the film and the reception of the film.
1: Yeah. And this is this isn't a movie that you can just sit down and talk to talk about for an hour and make the decision whether to keep or not, Beck. I think we have <laughs> we have found our first
0: uh, double feature I agree I think this is going to be a double feature episode um, we're going to call this part one it's the Rocky Horror double feature picture show I want to go part one <laughs> Oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> um, yep uh, next, next episode we will discuss the audience participation we will discuss cult mm. fans yeah what it's like to go and see one of these shows um,
1: yeah yeah, and lots more and I think also maybe we can delve a little bit more into I guess the the critical readings of it since it's um, mm. released to now because yeah this one um, a lot of people have said a lot of stuff about it in a really interesting mm. way
0: yes yeah yeah I think there's a lot to be read from this film from multiple perspectives yeah <laughs> Um, all right well great i don't have to make a decision we get to talk again soon it's gonna be great Yeah,
1: brilliant if you've got insight into rocky horror that you want to make sure that we remember to talk about do feel free to email us at dvd clutter at gmail.com remember there's an e between the mm-hmm. d and the c
0: <laughs> that was some hard thinking there yeah um we're also on the socials facebook and uh instagram still haven't updated those for ages i might get around to it this time because i do love this film we'll see
1: till then stay safe
0: yes please and um go watch rocky horror bye bye good luck editing that into something coherent um Yeah,
1: yeah i was thinking but i will